is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. And I love this Eve of the Eve night. Uh, well, Merry Christmas to everyone listening. Merry Christmas to everyone the whole season. I hope it was wonderful for you. And tonight's show, I want to, in the first five, talk about a great gift that you can give. It's not, you don't have to purchase it. You know, if you've done your Christmas shopping, it doesn't matter. What your gift is, not just on Christmas Day, but for all of the next two years and maybe the next hundred years, is to be, to join the team that is defending the unique, extraordinary idea that is America. You are needed on this team. The battle right now, as of the time of doing this recording, is whether or not America is going to fund the wall. And it's not really about the wall at all. It's a much deeper point. But first, I want to play a short little clip of President Trump's conversation in the White House with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. You know what? We need border security. That's what we're going to be talking about, border security. If we don't have border security, we'll shut down the government. This country needs border security. The wall is a part of border security. Let's have... You know that you probably saw and heard that clip if you pay much attention to politics. It went on and on. It was a a meeting in the uh, White House where President Trump essentially was saying, we're going to have the wall. What has happened since then, as the time of this recording, I'll say where we are, the Senate has capitulated entirely. Senator Chuck Schumer is insisting that there be no uh, wall and no funding for the wall. And the uh, Republican majority leader, uh, and I use the term leader advisedly, is essentially announcing capitulation. Mitch McConnell announced back in 2014, the moment the Republicans won the U.S. Senate, before that even started the next session, 11 days after Election Day, he announced, we promise we'll never shut down the government. So we have the, the Senate capitulating, saying, no, never mind, let's push all this off, this whole discussion of the wall, to the new year. He's pushing a continuing resolution, which will mean that the wall and the funding will be discussed after the Democrats hold the majority control of the United States House. Essentially, he's surrendering on the wall. The House is still trying to fight. A small number of Republicans actually are still trying to fight. That would include uh, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, a few other people from the Freedom Caucus. They are fighting for the wall funding and urging President Trump not to sign any continuing resolution, any budget thing. That does not include funding for the wall. But what I want to hit in this first five tonight, it's not really just the wall. The wall is a symbol. What the issue is in President Trump's campaign in 2016 and what we are fighting today is the huge issue of whether or not we are going to assert the unique, exceptional nature of America, the importance of America as a country founded and based on freedom, a country with a national identity rooted in the most important, extraordinary ideas that ever founded a country. This is why President Trump won. This is why he's fighting. The wall symbolizes saying we have a border and we decide who comes in to this country. We decide. We decide who gets citizenship. The left is saying the American left is symbolized by Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and all those other loudmouth Democrats in Washington. What they're really saying is we don't want to have a border. This is why prominent Democrats are saying let's abolish ICE 
They don't want a border because they don't want border security. They don't want to have the unique, extraordinary, exceptional idea that is America as a standard of citizenship. They don't want that. They want abandonment of the idea of America. They are left-wingers. They are, they are introducing to the American culture, this beautiful, precious country's culture, the idea of socialism as a norm, which does, can never – let me just say it bluntly. You can't have America and socialism. You either have America or socialism. They are pushing Islamism. You can't have America and the Islamic threat that is we're watching unfold around the world. You can't have America and Islamism. You can't have America and tribalism, which is where the left lives politically, dividing America perpetually and endlessly based on race, ethnicity, and national origin. The gift our founders gave to America is a country founded on the unique, extraordinary ideas laid out in the Constitution, laid out in the Declaration of Independence, the idea that we each have the right— in this country, in the world, actually, the Declaration was trying to capture the idea that each of us have natural, God-given rights simply because we were born to live in freedom. The purpose of the structure of the Constitution was to protect the American people from the tyranny that endlessly emerges, that endlessly emerges in every country's history if you let people collect power in a, in a, in a centralized way. So what we're, the battle is in 2019 and 2020 and beyond is whether or not we're going to hold on to this precious, extraordinary gift of liberty symbolized by the wall and keeping a, a border around our country or whether we're going to capitulate to the radical left-wing agenda, the, the determination to destroy this precious country, the determination to capitulate to globalism, to let United Nations and other globalist entities define America, to surrender our precious rights in the, under the First Amendment and the, the rights, all the rights captured in our Constitution. This is the gift you can give America every day from now until the day you die, which is to defend this country. Recognizing the battle about the, the border wall is a battle about the identity and protecting the unique, extraordinary identity of America. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. We come back from the break. We have a great uh, young man joining us. He'll be here the whole rest of the show. And we're going to be talking about the status, the state of religious liberty in America today, where we are in this country on religious liberty, what's happening in the second hour in the world on religious liberty. Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk, Lathan Watts. Come right back. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. 
But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk and Merry, Merry Christmas on this eve of the eve. So very glad you've tuned in. I have in studio tonight, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. But in studio is a young man named Lathan Watts. He is the director of community relations for First Liberty Institute. I'm going to have him tell you in a moment about First Liberty. But this is a young man who is just an extraordinarily, extraordinarily articulate uh, defender and explainer of the challenges to religious liberty in America. It seems what could be more appropriate to talk about on the eve of the eve of Christmas than the state of religious liberty in America. And that's what we're going to talk about in this first hour. And uh, Lathan Wasp, by background, has worked for in various campaign and official positions for Congressman Jeb Henschling, our great congressman from the great state of Texas, who is now retired, um, and also for Governor Rick Perry and Senator John Cornyn. Uh, he's also a, he's also was a city councilman. I didn't know that until getting ready for today. A city councilman, okay. But he's also a lawyer. But his job right now is with First Liberty, and I'm so glad you're here to join me tonight. So 
Welcome, Lathan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And tell our listeners, if you would, please, what First Liberty is all about. So First Liberty Institute is the uh, nation's largest organization that is exclusively dedicated to defending uh, religious liberty for all Americans. So um, our cases are around the country, uh, focus on uh, your First Amendment religious liberty rights, uh, also protected by various federal laws. But uh, we have clients and cases uh, really all over the country. Uh, We work with a network of volunteer uh, attorneys in firms all over the country, which allows us to take a case anywhere in the country and and have local counsel working with us. We have a team of lawyers in-house at First Liberty, uh, and then we work with our volunteers around the country. So our cases tend to fall into one of uh, kind of four big categories, um, whether it be uh, churches and ministries, the military, uh, schools, and then kind of the catch-all is kind of the public arena, uh, which can include a lot of different types of matters. But Well, two quick things I was going to mention. One is the founder of First Liberty is named Kelly Shackelford. He's, uh, this is actually based right here in Dallas where this show is coming from. It's just a great organization laser-focused on that, which you just described. I love that. Kelly Shackelford was describing this idea he had how, you know, of course, these affronts or these challenges to religious liberty happen around the country. Happen around the country. If you had to employ a team of lawyers in Dallas to fly out to every single place, every time there was a hearing, there was a, a meeting needed with a client, you'd spend a lot of money in just that. So he had the brilliant idea. I think it was Kelly's idea years ago to find like-minded lawyers already established in the areas where these cases are happening and, and join with them and work together. Brilliant idea. So the first case I want to hit on is story, which I think you'll find truly astonishing uh, because, Kelly, I, I do a different radio show, also Point of View Radio. I often join the roundtable. And Kelly was describing this recently. And I on that show, I was on the panel with him, and I just could hardly believe this is actually happening. And that is the case of the Orthodox Jewish families in Airmont, New York. Tell our listeners what's happening there. So Airmont, New York, is uh, a small town outside of New York City uh, that was originally part of uh, the city of uh, Ramapo, I believe is how they say it. But in the um, uh, mid to late 80s, they broke off and incorporated themselves um, specifically for the purpose of using municipal power to prohibit Orthodox Jews from living there. And Wait, make it as of their founding, that was the point? Yes, it, it's documented. Oh that was the reason they incorporated, um, oh was to try to use uh, zoning ordinances and other uh, building codes and other things like that to make it difficult on the Orthodox Jewish community that was already there and to discourage other Orthodox Jews from moving there. Um, at, the, at the founding of this town, when they incorporated, the United States Justice Department sued them almost immediately um, the, the Justice Department sued them again uh, years later uh, with different plaintiffs. Uh, those cases each resulted in uh, what's called a settlement decree, which is basically where the city agreed to stop doing this. Uh, but when once that settlement decree expired, they went right back to what they're doing. And so that's where uh, our cases in Airmont came from. Uh, we contacted and uh, sent attorneys up there to meet with uh, some potential clients uh, if you know anything about the Orthodox Jewish community, the Hasidic community, it's it's it's, it's pretty insular, and so we had tightly to, knit exactly, insular, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we had to, you know, the first thing we had to do was sort of earn their trust and and kind of get over the the hill of you know what are a bunch of evangelical Christians from Texas interested in 
of what's going on for Orthodox Jews yeah, in New yeah. York. They were a little suspicious, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, we but we met with them. Um, you know, investigated the facts of what was going on. It was very clear that uh, the city of Vermont was back to its old tricks, and so we. Once we uh, signed up, you know, our first client up there and the community started to hear what was going on, we started getting more and more people contacting us. So, so what this, exactly does Airmont do to keep these people? Right. So uh, it's a it's a number of things. Um, particularly, they use their zoning ordinances and their building codes um, to make it difficult for the rabbis in that community to host their community in their home for worship. Now, the Orthodox community um, – basically has to worship where their rabbi lives. That's why they live within walking distance of where their rabbi lives because they're prohibited from driving on the Sabbath. Yep. So they, they live in and around where the rabbi lives, and he typically hosts them in his home for worship. So they use zoning ordinances and building codes. Uh, we have clients up there who have spent years and upwards of thirty, forty thousand dollars mm-hmm. trying to get a permit from the city to to do a small to host bit. an event in their home. Right to do a small like they may be doing some sort of small renovation in their home to accommodate uh, the, the the worship. Uh, the city also passed an ordinance that required anyone hosting worship in their home to get permission from the city. So. I mean, we're here in Irving, Texas. Imagine if Irving passed a law that said, uh, well, you can't have that home Bible study in your home on Sunday nights unless you get our permission (laughs) first. Yes. That's basically what Aramon has has done, uh, specifically, as as we said, with the intent to make life difficult on this community there, hoping that they will move away. Uh, The rabbis up there refer to themselves as the underground synagogues. I mean, they have been basically forced underground by the city there. So we have multiple clients up there, multiple causes of action. It's probably going to be uh, you know, a, a long process. It's probably going to be multiple lawsuits involved. But uh, we're committed to uh, making sure that the city uh, stops using uh, zoning or building codes or other ordinances in this discriminatory manner. Okay, I think one of the most amazing things, we're going to talk about a bunch of cases that First Liberty has, and the reason I wanted to do this on this Christmas Eve Eve was because in America, you know, the reason we, among the reasons America was founded was to pursue the notion of religious freedom to establish a country where religious freedom was the standing assumption. Of course you have freedom of religion. What's astonishing about Airmont is a lot of your cases involve decisions by school administrators where they are think that they are trying to follow the law or they they think that they're kind of uh, protecting uh, the first half of the. I'm going to just read the First Amendment and I'll get back to my point. The First Amendment to the Constitution says, Congress, shall, with respect to religion, Congress shall make no law respecting an establish, establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Usually your cases involve people saying they're fearful that conduct by a school might be read as an establishment of religion. This is a case where they are pretty much openly saying, or I'm curious how they defend themselves, but openly saying, you can't, you can't practice your religion. You can't express your religion. That is very different than a cautious, protective, we don't want to be accused of establishing right. a religion. Right. And you're right. In a lot of our cases, it's someone who has maybe gotten some bad legal advice or uh, you know, afraid of um, you know, potentially being sued for violating the Establishment Clause, and so they go overboard and end up violating the Free, free Exercise, exercise Clause. 
this is a blatant free exercise clause violation, and it's been going on there for far too long, and it's time to be uh, put an end to it. So how do these people defend themselves in your interactions with them, in their court filings? Does the city deny that that's what they're doing, or do they say, hey, it's our city, we can do it? Right. They're they're always going to try and, and, and characterize this as um, something that is – neutral towards religion they're they're going they're going to say well the, you know building codes are about safety um you know we've seen it in other communities where uh, well actually right here in dallas where we represent an orthodox jewish community where the, yep. the city was denying a, a permit based on the number of parking spaces that were available for orthodox jews who don't who drive, don't drive. On <laughs> yeah right so there's there's typically always you know a um, an excuse given that on its face looks neutral towards religion. Um, but honestly, the, the, you know, when it comes to litigating these things, their intent is really not um, that relevant. It is the, the, the impact of it. Does it actually prohibit these people from freely exercising their religion? And, and if so, then it's illegal. It's unconstitutional. This goes to another point I've talked about in the show recently. We're coming up on a break here, but it goes to a point I've brought up many times, which is, there is a rise in America, an increase in the tolerance for anti-Semitism. And this is obvious, blatant, undeniable anti-Semitism. But there are deeper things going on in America, more subtle, more hidden, that are really of the same ilk. The notion, essentially, that anti-Semitism is somehow justified it is the BDS movement, the attacks on Israel, the boycott. Um, was BDS boycott diver? Can't think of it. Divest and um, sanction it is essentially fight Israel at every step of the way. I'm Debbie Georgias. America Can We Talk with Lathan Wasserman, First Liberty. Come right back. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. 
www.ncpbpa.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk on this eve of the Christmas Eve. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk. We have in the studio tonight Lathan Watts, an extremely articulate defender and explainer of the uh, issues of religious liberty in America. And, and we're talking tonight on this on Christmas Eve Eve about the threats to religious liberty in America today. We just discussed the case involving a town in New York uh, of Airmont, um, and it's just a blatantly anti-Semitic determination to prevent Orthodox Jewish families or congregations from meeting, from practicing. It is just a, it's an astonishingly unapologetic attack. Other cases that First Liberty handles um, are more subtle and maybe involve issues that, um, you know, that have to be litigated or have to be thought through. And I want to say again about this idea about America, your gift to America. You can give a gift to America all the time in your daily life by speaking up for the founding ideas of America, which Obviously, the first liberty is called first liberty in part because the very First Amendment to the United States Constitution lists as the very first liberty protected religious liberty. We're going to talk in the second hour tonight about the attack on Christianity around the world the, and then amazing groups trying to expose it and explain it and help and, and, and bring uh, international pressure on it. But I want to focus back on where we are in America today because we think, hey, we have religious freedom. You're allowed to go to... Any church you want, you don't have to go to any church. You can change religion every day. No one's going to arrest you. So we think, oh, we got it pretty good. But actually, First Liberty, this organization based here in Dallas that litigates on behalf of people on, in religious liberty cases, 
has some amazing cases that I think you're, they're, they're kind of shocked that they're actually happening. So I want to turn to one, and I, I pulled these off your website. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at them. I'm right. assuming you've memorized your entire uh, bank of cases at First Liberty. Well, there's, there's more work than we than sometimes than we can handle. So, uh, But, yeah, I think I'm familiar with the cases you're going to talk about. Okay, so one is called, involves a, a ministry called Light of the World Gospel Ministries. So this is in Walt Hill, Nebraska. It's a growing, diverse congregation. They acquired a small building on Main Street in the village of Walt Hill, Nebraska. The church grew, and so the church, because it had so many people, attempted to acquire property across the street. And essentially, uh, they have been blocked. They have had their um, building permits revoked um, and denied other permits, rendering the property unusable by the church. Okay, just let me, before we get in the details of the, or the religious liberty, why is the city doing that? That's a that's a really good question, and it's kind of hard to get into their heads. But um, to speak sort of generally, sometimes there there's there can be a a reluctance to work with a church because when the church owns the property, it's going to be tax exempt. Yeah, and so there may be you know some who who see well you know there'd be more revenue to the city if you know a private business were in control of this who's going to generate revenue and then um, and pay taxes. Um, which is uh, short-sighted. There are, there are multiple academic studies that show that the, the influence of a nonprofit or a charity or a church operating, even though they are tax-exempt, and it, how it revitalizes uh, a community actually does result in revenue to the city. Can I just jump in and say, yeah, the good example is, you know, everyone when you go to church on Sunday, everyone talks about where should we go eat afterwards? I mean, so right away, the restaurants, and plus you have church meetings during the week, and so people show up for a meeting. They, hey, let's go to dinner afterwards. It's got to be the case. Plus you have people coming to an area where they may not otherwise go in their town, right. and they, oh, yeah, let's try that. What, even if it's not a Sunday or a church meeting day, they right. know about those businesses. So I just I, that occurred to me reading about this case last night. Absolutely. And what uh, uh, Pastor Malcolmson there in Light of the World, what, you know, the reason they bought the property uh, next to where they were currently uh, located was not only to expand you know, the facilities of his church as his church was growing, but he had visions of uh, other charity work and, uh, and possibly other businesses that could employ some of the people in his church who were unemployed. Um, this so sweet, so uh, tender, yeah, absolutely. And and he he has said multiple times he is not there to uh, start a fight with uh, the city. He wants to work with the city. And if you if you could see downtown Walt Hill, Nebraska. I mean, it looks like a post-apocalyptic zombie movie. I mean, it it is <laughs> not like there. the businesses are just lining oh up to move gosh. in there. Yeah. I mean, it, this is economically short-sighted as much as it is. Uh, this re- is like a farm religious. town. I mean, it's like it's it is. You know, it may not be the middle of nowhere, but you can see it from there. Yeah, and, okay. <laughs> uh, that's a good line. And, okay, that's just one thing. By the way, Lathan Watts is known for, on point of view, these great lines. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, he you know he wants to work with the city. I mean, this would be um, eventually. Um, an, an economic uh, revitalization for that part of the city as well. But the bottom line is he has a uh, protected right under the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act as a religious entity to use that property for religious purposes. And, you know, the city is, uh, has revoked building permits and denied others, which is, you know, keeping him from doing that. So where do we stand in that case? Do you happen to know the current status? So we have contacted the city and um, we are looking at all the legal options. If we can work this out without litigation, that's typically what we like to do. Um, we, we don't have a set playbook where we just come in guns blazing, suing everybody all the time because our clients still have to live there after we leave. Yeah. yeah. So 
you know, we're trying to work with the city if they um, you know, refuse uh, to do it without litigation, then uh, litigation will be the route that we go. Okay, I want to turn to another case, which I found truly amazing, and I think we've talked about this in Kirby Anderson's show, um, which, uh, with a point of view radio show, Christian Radio, which has to do with this um, uh, retirement home. I think this is a retired pastor, and I don't know how I said the guy's name. Is it Haig or uh, Hagee? Haugie. Haugie? Haugie. Mm-hmm. Okay, H-A-U-G-E. These are truly, again, if you're just tuning in, this is Debbie George Ass, America Can We Talk, and on this Christmas Eve of the Eve, we are talking about uh, religious liberty in America, the state of and why First Liberty in here in base here in Texas spends time and, and is very, very busy following up on claims of religious liberty, or relating to challenges to religious liberty. There's a pastor in Florida, um, Ken Hauge, who lives in a retirement home. This one's in Virginia. We have Virginia. another client in Florida, the exact same oh, okay. circumstances, same but this man's in Virginia. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So the short story is these are retired pastors and I'm, I come from a long line of Lutheran ministers in my family like I know all, I know these people but these um, this idea was uh, he's in this retirement home and he's offering a Bible study in his room or maybe in a common room and ends up getting scolded and ultimately in at least one maybe both cases asked to move out so what is going on there so as you said he's a retired Lutheran minister there had been a group of people in this um senior living facility it's basically like an apartment complex but it caters to the senior community and there was already a group there before he moved in that had been trying to organize a bible study and so when he moved in they asked him would you you know facilitate this would you lead this and he was you know glad to do so so he did what everybody in that community would do he went and booked the little community room yep and initially was told okay well you can have it there but you need to call it something else. Call it like a book club or a book study or something. And to which he kind of rolled his eyes. He's like, okay, whatever. You know. Um, but then the then the apartment complex issued new guidance on use of the community room, which banned all religious activity. So, you know, still just wanting to help Wait, people. Who, all religious all activity. religious activity. So, what if you read your Bible in your room? Well, this these guidelines were for the community room. Oh, the common room, okay. Right, so what they did was one of the, the people who was going to attend the Bible study said, well, we can have it in, in my apartment. So she hosted it at her apartment. Ken came in, led the Bible study, and that's when he got a notice from the uh, management of the apartment complex telling him he had engaged in commercial activity in a residence and that if he continued doing so, he could be facing eviction. So possibly being kicked out of his apartment in a retirement home in in a, a senior living apartment complex for leading a bible study in a private residence. Okay, again, I got to know if if you know, what is the the thinking behind the people saying this to him? Or what are they afraid of? Right. I think what happened here and what's happened in in other places because if if it's happening here it's happening elsewhere is that you probably have in fact, in this case, I think there was a complaint by another resident to the management company. And like I said before, somebody sort of overreacts. But were they singing to, uh, hymns really loudly or something? Is that the not, problem? Not that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, not that I know of. So uh, in in trying to address a complaint, they went way overboard and uh, you know violated the rights of Ken and the other people that were uh, attending this Bible study. So we you know we contacted the management company they sort of dug in so we filed a formal complaint with uh, HUD and uh, HUD's now investigating the, the case so HUD will investigate on behalf of your complaint on behalf of this right. person right well that's very interesting so they're they're investigating uh, based on discrimination um of, in housing and housing on right. on religion which you know Ben Carson attends a bible study uh 
at least I think once a month uh, with oh, other cabinet members. Oh, he's in trouble now. So, Whoa, you know, he's in trouble now. <laughs> hopefully he's heard about this case by now and we'll get this resolved. That's actually brilliant. That that is Ben Carson. That because now he's a very uh, devout Christian, and so he's in a Bible study. And in his own agency, he's looking into uh, the government essentially trying to boot somebody out based on right. their. We practice, have their almost religion. the exact same fact pattern in Florida, so we have uh, multiple uh, complaints with. Hopkins. Yeah, you know, uh, if you're just tuning in, I'm Debbie George Addis. This is America. Can we talk? I have with me in studio Lathan Watts, who's with the First Liberty uh, organization here in Dallas, uh, but nationwide work defending religious liberty. I want to have him go through a couple of their cases, which he has done. We come back from the break. I want to turn to some things that are happening in America that aren't yet in litigation mode related to religious liberty, but they really symbolize or are examples of the attack on people of faith and their worldviews, one involving an Arizona school having transgender, gay, and gay curriculum advocacy for fifth graders. A bunch of other cases like that. Come right back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national 
national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and our Christmas Eve of the Eve, and I have in studio tonight Lathan Watts, the Director of Community Relations at First Liberty. I want to take one moment to thank the sponsor of our show, without whom the show would not be possible. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company performing research in advanced technology and delivering innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Couldn't do it without them. Back to Eve of the Eve. Okay. I do want to have Lathan Wass, since I have this expert here in studio. You have a bunch of cases First Liberty has been working on that are now either at the Supreme Court, pending, waiting for them. Can you just run through and tell me? Sure. Because this, you know, people, if you're listening to this and you weren't really tuned into these cases, these are country changing, as we'll, as we'll explore better or, and more deeply in the second hour, talking about happening in other countries these cases First Liberty takes are country-shaping. How much do we actually mean our guarantee of religious freedom? So what, what time about those cases? So I'll start with uh, we have a case that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear. Uh, oral argument will be in March. Uh, our client is the American Legion. In the Bladensburg World War I Memorial case, uh, the Bladensburg World War I Memorial has stood for roughly 100 years. Uh, it was one of the first World War I memorials erected in the country. Um, the... A monument was originally put up by Gold Star moms uh, whose sons did not come home from World War I, 49 men from Prince George's County, Maryland. The American Legion, our client, donated the, the property on which the memorial stands mm-hmm. uh, originally. Um, sometime, I think in the 1950s, uh, the state of Maryland, in expanding a highway, uh, took over the, the property where the memorial sits um, via eminent domain as they were expanding a highway. And the memorial's in the shape of uh, a cross. The mothers chose that shape because they wanted it to resemble the gravestones their sons were actually buried under in Europe, yep. which in the early 1900s, there was no guarantee they would ever be able to really visit their actual sons' gravestones. So, right. so you have a cross-shaped memorial that now sits on government property, even though it was originally private property. And so the American Humanist Association filed a lawsuit claiming that it violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment 
the Fourth Circuit, uh, we actually won at the trial court level. They appealed the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. The three-judge panel agreed with the American Humanist Association in a 2-1 decision. There was a very good dissent, but in a 2-1 decision saying that it does violate the Establishment Clause. So we appealed that to the United States Supreme Court. Thankfully, they have agreed to hear the case. An oral argument will be in March. Now, at oral argument in the Fourth Circuit, one of the judges actually suggested uh, that we could make this monument okay if we just chopped the arms off the cross. Now, if the Fourth Circuit's decision stands, if the Supreme Court doesn't overturn them, not only will that Bladensburg Memorial uh, be bulldozed, likely, the Arlington National Cemetery is within the Fourth Circuit. So the Humanist Association could take that win, if they if they were uh, allowed to win, and go into Arlington and say, like the Argonne Cross of Sacrifice needs to come down. The Canadian Cross of Sacrifice. How needs about to the come thousands down. and thousands? Almost every 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 soldier buried at Arlington has those little white crosses. You always see those. Or oh my gosh! Or how about Sam blast the word God off the tomb of the unknown soldier? You could use this president to try to do that as well. So we were very uh, very happy. The Supreme Court agreed to take the case, and as I said, we're going to have oral argument in March on that, and we're expecting uh, a victory there that will uh, not only just defend the Bladensburg Memorial, but hopefully settle this issue once and for all. That you can have religious symbols on public property without violating the Establishment Clause. Exactly. That's the basic point. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that won't be argued in March. Now, we have uh, probably our most famous client right now is Coach Joe Kennedy uh, from Bremerton, Washington, who was uh, a football coach who was fired for going to the 50-yard line at the end of a game and kneeling and saying a silent 15 to 30-second prayer. Um, Ninth Circuit's opinion uh, ruling against him uh, basically said that if you work for the government and you engage in something that is uh, religious and anyone can see you do it, a reasonable observer would think that you're speaking on behalf of that government and therefore violating the Establishment Clause. Of course, our argument is keep reading. There's a free exercise clause. (laughs) Keep reading, yeah. Yeah. That he was clearly not speaking on behalf of the school district. He was taking a knee and saying a silent prayer on his own behalf. So we appealed that to the Supreme Court. It has been listed for conference now seven times, and they have continued to relist it. Conference being a meeting of the judges to decide whether or not to take it. Correct. Uh, it takes four judges to justices to vote uh, to to take the case. So it's been relisted seven times. We we tell coaches in his seventh overtime. Yeah. We're just waiting, <laughs> waiting for the Supreme Court to finally yeah. uh, give us you know uh, a decision on whether or not they're going to take the case. Uh, there's no way of really knowing why it keeps getting relisted because only the nine justices are in the room when they're discussing these. But we're waiting to hear if they will take his case. And then we also represent Aaron and Melissa Klein in Oregon, uh, a family who owned a bakery um, who were penalized $135,000 by the state of Oregon, the Bureau of Labor and Industry, uh, which basically bankrupted their business um, because – Yeah, shut down. Shut, shut down. down, yeah, uh, because – um, they couldn't bake a cake for a same-sex union. Uh, they decided they, they told the potential client that they filed a complaint with the state. The state penalized them. Initially, even issued a gag order telling them not to speak their views on marriage publicly. We were able to get that uh, tossed out. But I, I want to jump in and be sure on that case. We say a couple of things. This is a, a couple who owned a bakery, and when they they let anyone enter their bakery and purchase anything, they didn't have. I mean, it wasn't a discriminatory business in the sense of 
keeping people out. Right. Anyone could come in and buy things. But the unique argument, I, I've made this analogy before, but I want to make sure that people get it. Because you hear, I, could, I hear people say, well, okay, it's a bakery. So what? They can bake. Why, why can't they just bake the cake and, and stop this big fuss? The thing is, the bake the cake, in this particular case, is designed by them to honor the wedding. It's unique designed for that wedding. And right. so it is like me being, I mean, I do a lot of public speaking, me being asked to give a speech saying the virtues of Hillary Clinton and I wish she were president. I mean, I don't believe that. I couldn't give the speech. I couldn't, I couldn't be forced to say that because it would be, it would violate my rights because I don't believe that. That is the kind of thinking behind the Klein case. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Aaron and Melissa, they meet with each individual uh, client extensively. They get to know them. Melissa's practice was to pray for God to bless that marriage as she was you know, decorating the cake. So if you if you hold the views that they do, a biblical view of um, marriage, you can see why they they couldn't make that cake. And they and they told the the client that they they would be happy to serve them for any other occasion, just not this one. And there were bakeries in the area. These two, this the same sex couple, did not have to get it wasn't like the only bakery in the state of Oregon. Correct. Yeah. Right. And and so you know, regardless of what. Uh, you know, I have this conversation with some of my more libertarian friends, regardless of what your view on same-sex marriage is, the state of Oregon put somebody out of business because they didn't like what they believed. Yeah, that's a good summary. That's a good summary. Um, so, you know, our, our our case there, we we will be, you know, uh, filing that appeal with the Supreme Court, likely for the next term. Um, but we're going to try and um, continue the discussion that came out of the Masterpiece Cake Shop case where they – really didn't address the compelled speech argument in the Masterpiece case. And what we are teeing this up for the Supreme Court. If you yeah. want to address compelled speech, here's a case to do it with. The Masterpiece Cake Shop related to, is it Denver? Someplace in Colorado. Colorado. And um, the short answer of the Supreme Court was they said to the Masterpiece Cake plaintiff, same set of facts, same idea, but said they, they ruled in favor or against the state in favor of the individual baker because of the evidence of hostility engaged in by the state. So they didn't really say... The ruling, the direct ruling, you cannot be forced based on, uh, you know, you can't be forced to express something that's inconsistent with your religious views. Correct. So and, so our case would, would allow them to address that issue with a very similar set of facts. Now, they did in the last term in the NIFLA decision, um, uh, Kennedy wrote in a concurrence that, you know, government should not be al- allowed to compel people to speak a message with which they sincerely disagree. Um but he didn't touch that in the masterpiece cake shop case. So uh, hopefully we'll we'll be able to capitalize we need a square on, on that. decision, just exactly. like in the Bladensburg case. We need a square on decision about the establishment clause in this case, the free exercise clause. Okay, I know you guys have lots of cases, but I want to take just a minute to touch on the idea uh, that these cases these are these are real Americans who are essentially being told by the government either they can't express their their deeply held religious beliefs. Um, in, in, in Coach Kennedy's case, uh, in public, because someone might think that he was speaking on behalf of the school, right. or that they can be forced, either choose your business, you, you can lose your business, or else you have to do what the government says and bake a cake, that a, a uniquely bake a cake analogy, like me giving a speech, and say something I totally disagree with. I want to just touch on some other things that are ongoing, just um, because this issue, even these cases we're describing, and First Liberty has many more, but there are other things happening in America that are really, they're, I think, eventually going to be the subject of discussion uh, related to uh, First Amendment and, the, and, and liberty, religious liberty. But in the, the guy in Colorado 
who uh, the the masterpiece cake shop guy. I happened to be at a conference and hear him speak. I don't know if you ever heard him speak. He could, I mean, I'm telling you, this guy could not even be in front of the crowd and speak really on his own. He ended up having his lawyer sit next to him and go back on a Q&A. She kind of gently leading him. He was emotional. He was near tears. This is a huge crowd of people. The, I, obviously, he wasn't that comfortable. This is not a strident, uh, defiant, I don't care about what anyone else thinks. This is a really tender, truly Bible-believing Christian who could barely stand to give his remarks to a group um, because he was just, just driven to tears. Okay, so, uh, but that guy, that very same guy, the Colorado Baker, Shortly after this case got launched, he was then asked by a transgender person to bake a cake for, I think it was a woman into a man. I can't remember which way it went. But the point was someone who was transgender who said, I want you to bake a cake for my celebration party. And it was either blue frosting and pink inside or pink frosting, blue inside, whichever it was, to celebrate the tra- her, his or her transition, uh, gender tra- um, transformation. He declined for the same reasons. What's astonishing is... The Supreme Court already told Colorado not to be hostile to this guy's religion, and Colorado's after him again in this transgender case. So he is now suing. He's affirmatively taking action, suing the state of Colorado, saying, didn't you just read what the Supreme Court just said? Just stop being hostile. And I think that's the danger of the weakness of the Supreme Court's case is um, the danger of the, the weakness is they just said hostility was the problem. So if Colorado's nice about it, Exactly. If you don't say mean things to Jack Phillips, you can get away with doing this. And and that's exactly what they're trying to do, which is why our case is so important that we bring that issue back to them and say you need to address the compelled speech argument. Absolutely. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I have in studio Lathan Watts, and we come back after this top of the hour break. We're going to turn to talking what's happening. I'm going to do my first five cruise of the news and then turn to talk about what's happening in the rest of the world and persecution of Christians, how how prevalent hidden, unknown, vicious, ugly it is, and who, what are the sources and the mindset behind it. Come back after the break to America Can We Talk. <laughs> 